Many people think swinging is just about straightforward partner swapping. But a huge portion of the self-identified swingers I spoke with for this episode are also very well acquainted with group sex and orgies. Hands everywhere, mouths everywhere, and just everybody moaning and the the sounds and the smells and, and just all of it just makes me incredibly excited. That particular orgy enthusiast is Linda. She and her husband Boba became swingers a little less than a year ago. And in this pretty short period, they've learned a great deal about their own desires and sex in general, including that group sex and orgies aren't all fun and games. It's hard to get an orgy started. It really is. <laughs> uh, it's not as easy as you would think. And it's really, even in the lifestyle, it is difficult to do. Imagine trying to get everybody together for a friend's birthday dinner. That can be pretty logistically challenging. Yeah. Now imagine trying to get, you know, eight people together to have sex with each other. It, it's difficult. I it, can't it's go. an effort. Yeah. The kids are sick. Niece's ballet recital. Yep. The kids are sick because, you know, there's a lot of parents, you know, they're like, oh, we had the kids this weekend. We can't, you know. Life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. So it, it's definitely one of those things where you have to really put in an effort to make it happen. Uh, and if you don't put in the effort, you're just not going to be a swinger. <laughs> it just doesn't fall in your lap. It is still absolutely work. You have to make yourself available. Yes. What about when you're at a party and people are already there? Is Can it be difficult to get an orgy going under those circumstances as well? It depends. It depends. Uh, I was going to say the, the two orgies that I was part of, I kind of initiated both times. Yeah, you did. So, um, You've been in more than one orgy. Or more than two. Uh, oh, well, okay. I was just thinking of the 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 jacuzzi orgy. Basically, I started yeah. going down on boba, you know. And yeah, we, we started fucking in the jacuzzi, and then everybody else kind uh, of. Yeah, and then they were like, oh, okay, we're getting this started. And, and then it kind of slowly spread from there, but someone kind of just had to do the first act. Everyone else was just kind of sitting there and chit-chatting and, you know, just kind of soaking in the water. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take the bull by the horns and do this. <laughs> and then the other time, uh, we were invited up to a, a hotel room and lots of people were invited and there were a lot of people standing around and just kind of looking at each other, chit-chatting and that type of thing. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll take my clothes off and show what's going on and oh, and yeah. then so it, that kind of was the uh, an initiator it was I the think initiating. some people were having sex and then you stopped them because you looked so good <laughs> <laughs> that could have happened too but um usually it's like w once one person starts kind of that positive feedback loop that positive vibes happens and it's like okay this is great you just need that person to make the first move usually yeah in the last episode of my show i had a male burlesque performer um a along with a, a number of female burlesque performers and he had been hired for a halloween swingers party to <gasps> to host it and he hosted oh, wow. it as beetlejuice and oh that sounds like fun <laughs> And part of his job was to get sort of people started with fucking and that kind of yes. thing. And in the moment, having that conversation, I was like, well, that seems unnecessary at a swingers event. But what I've nope. been hearing from people is, no, it, it can be very helpful. 
<laughs> it's yeah. absolutely very, very helpful. I'd love to have that person around. I know. What happens if you said his name three times? I know. Ooh. <laughs> Almost everyone I brought this up with agreed that, generally speaking, Swinger's events could benefit from the presence of someone playing this role, with or without a Beetlejuice costume, including the Belle and the Bomber, who hosts the Black and Kinky Lifestyle podcast. You have to have somebody that pulls the trigger. Um, so often, you know, it'll be a more experienced couple or us who will just have start having sex so that other people will come have sex. You know, like, it's you know, when somebody has a buffet and they say, <laughs> oh, the buffet is open, but nobody wants to be the first one to go, you know, start eating at the buffet. Right. Sometimes you have to have that person that will, you know, get the party started so that everybody feels like, OK, you know, I wasn't the first one. You know, I don't look like whatever. Yeah, because yeah. I, I really like that analogy. And yeah, it sucks being the, the first person up there because it just it just feels wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so oftentimes it's me like a lot of times um, there's, you know, different swinger games that people play. We have board games and card games. Um, sometimes there we do a massage game, you know, where everybody's massaging one person and all that kind of stuff. Everybody has to be naked, um, you know, to kind of warm up. I'm just remembering one one particular example i mean we were we were at a hotel party and um the bell and i decided that we were going to play there were there was no one playing we went into this bedroom and there was nobody playing there there were two queen sized beds um you know just sort of laid up against one another um sort of to create this larger play space and we were in i just remember we were in the corner of this bed playing and then people just started coming in and, you know, there'd be one woman that would come up to the bell and start looking on her, looking on her tits. And then, you know, another guy would come and, you know, sort of start playing with himself as he's touching the bell. Then another girl would come by me and start feeling on my chest. And then another guy would come behind her and start playing with her. So it was like we created this like little webbed network <laughs> at the corner of this bed and it was only in that corner that people were playing. There was no other space where people were because they just sort of gravitated towards our area. And I counted nine people that were in that little space on the bed. I don't even know how you count yeah, no, I, I, Yeah, it's nine people because I remember exactly who they were. And I was just like, wow, how did, <laughs> how did this happen? Um, you know, people just didn't prioritize comfort at that point. So, yeah, we get the party started. <laughs> it sounds like it. Like most of the people I spoke with for this episode, the Bomber and the Bell are exhibitionists who love putting on a show for an enthusiastic crowd. Everybody wants to look like a porn star when they're having sex. So when you have this audience that is giving you all of this positive feedback, you're going to fuck harder, you're going to suck harder, and you're going to come harder. <laughs> Welcome to episode 46 of Sex with Strangers, Sex with Swingers. As always, I'm your host, Chris Soa. I had more than 20 hours of conversations with swingers for this show. And three of the couples I spoke with also have swingers podcasts of their own. So in addition to hearing a lot more from the hosts of the Black and Kinky podcast, we will also hear from Angela and Bradford from the By the By podcast and Richard and Lauren from the Room 77 podcast. 
We will also hear from the owners of two lifestyle clubs, the Clubhouse in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Sins in Salisbury, Massachusetts. Please stick around. A few quick things before we jump back in. On Wednesday, November 6th at 8 p.m., we are having our very first Sex with Strangers live show with New York Times columnist and author of the Vagina Bible, Dr. Jen Gunter. At the Pleasure Chest, located at 3436 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. It is a free event, and I hope to see you there. I'm also working on an episode of this show about the sugar lifestyle, so all you current and former sugar daddies, sugar mamas, and sugar babies out there, please email me at chrisatsexwithstrangersshow.com. I also want to talk to college students for a show about sex in college and would love to visit some campuses as part of that process, so please email me if you want to take part in that episode as well. Finally, before we jump back in, I also want to make a quick correction from our previous episode. You may recall that Dahlia Fatal appeared on that show just after winning Best Debut Performance at the Tournament of Tees in Las Vegas, and I left our conversation with the impression that her winning performance was this amazing water act she had described to me, but I was mistaken. So I invited Dahlia back to briefly describe what her actual winning performance was. Dahlia is also a contortionist, so it's no surprise the piece had a strong contortion element. The act that I did in Vegas is actually to this super epic um, piece of all string music by a band called Break of Reality. And they do a lot of like interesting rock covers and things, but this track is actually unique to them. Um, I love, love, love string instruments. And it's dressed up like a traditional striptease. So like there's a gown and gloves and it starts pretty basic. And then like as things kind of pick up, it escalates into just complete bendy mayhem. And then everything crashes out and it has this really nice soothing finish that I enjoy. Um, Kind of the story that I built around it as I was building the piece um, was that it's kind of the story of a one night stand. So it starts with like the flirtation and everything's super normal or whatever. And then it gets real kinky real fast. And then you're just like, ah, and you're happy. And then you go home. So that's the piece. <laughs> and and how how is the kinkiness represented in the performance? I mean, it's uh the speed of the movement and the oddness of the shapes. It's that's definitely the more contorted portion of the act and because the strings really pick up at that part, it's really fast contortion, which isn't something that you see a lot. So your brain kind of has to process it and it's like she's over there but there's a leg and there's a head and what's going on? And okay, now we're good again. And I enjoy that kind of a feeling and that interaction. Video of that act should be out later this year, and we will link to it when it's available. Above anything else, I want this show to be factually accurate, so if you catch any factual errors while listening to these episodes, please let me know so I can correct the record. Now let's return to swinging. Casey and Ashley have been together for a little less than six years, and early into their relationship, Ashley began fantasizing about seeing Casey with other women. I mean, how vulgar can I be? Like, You can be as vulgar as you want. Okay. I just wanted to see his dick sucked by another woman, and the <laughs> thought of it was so appealing to me. We At first, it started with jokes, right? Yeah, we were, we were kind of like joking back and forth, kind of fantasy, just a little. Just to kind of spice up, you know, the normal bedroom thing. And then it started turning from just joking, like saying here and there to more like, well, what if? Yeah, like 
Maybe. Like what? Like what? What are the chances? <laughs> and it wasn't until last year that it, we really started in depth conversation. Yeah, in depth conversation. Yeah. The real main discussion that we had went on for a couple of hours, but we thoroughly discussed it from that point for about a week, maybe even longer. Um, mm-hmm. The details, like what we would be comfortable with, what we wouldn't be. And at first it was all very strict and very, very strict. Yeah. No kissing, um, only touching if the other one agrees. Kind of um, micromanaging. Yeah. It was very, we realized once we actually got into things, it was very unrealistic like all of the stipulations that we had put upon ourselves and um after our first experience we modified our rules you know um with experience we understood what made us uncomfortable and what did not exactly and i think that uh, being uncomfortable was a feeling of like are we going to go too far and ruin ourselves or each other or are we just going to you know, go with the flow and do what feels right and then deal with it when the time comes, you know? So it's really hard to find that balance of being prepared, but being anxious enough to where, you know, you don't overdo or overthink anything in any direction. It's kind of strange. You have to do a lot of preparation for it. Um, a lot of thinking, a lot of discussion. And then of course you have to take into account the other couple yeah, and, they got to do the same thing. Yeah, and we've never played alone or separately. We always play together, and uh, that is one of our... That's one of our hard rules. Yeah. We only play together. Yeah. That's why it feels like teamwork. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it really, <laughs> it really does. Sometimes it's... It's a good time. It's almost predatory <laughs> it's in like a way. It's like a hunt? Yeah, it's like a hunt, and and but like where the prey knows they're being hunted and they enjoy it they too. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going after couples who might be a little bit shy, maybe, at least in comparison to you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. See, here's, it's strange. Our first, um, our first encounter was a couple that was actually stronger than us. Like, Yeah, really experienced, super confident. Very confident, sure of what they wanted. Uh, they, We were the ones that were like, doe-eyed and not sure what was going on we needed their guidance (laughs) and now (laughs) we're the ones that it's amazing how confident we get over just trying things a couple times exactly some somehow suddenly feel like we know everything (laughs) yeah but there's that's obviously not true though (laughs) yeah we still have a lot to learn there's always more to learn but they've come a long way in only about 10 months First time was terrifying. It was terrifying, but empowering at the same time. Because, you know, when you feel scared, you feel alive. And that's why people are always jumping out of planes and things like that, you know? So it's a it's a rush. It's a feeling of, oh, I need more of this. <laughs> it felt like a huge risk, which terrified and excited you at the same time. And in, at the end of the day, the excitement was more powerful than the fear. Yes, that's yes. exactly right. The initial couple we heard from at the top of the show, Boba and Linda, are also relatively new to this world and echoed this idea that it's wise to have early swinging experiences with more seasoned couples. There was one time where this couple, uh, I think the woman, was giving us kind of direction. You do this. You go over here. You touch this person like that. And we really, really appreciated Mm -hmm. that because a lot of times, especially during your first interaction or your first threesome where, you know, the parties aren't necessarily equal. You kind of go, 
okay, well, we just did that. That was cool. What do you want to do next? Mm -hmm. So having somebody actually call the shots and tell you what to do next is very, very, it, it never leaves a dull moment. Yeah. It, it, I, and the way that they phrase it too, like the way she did it was like, you'd be really sexy if you, uh, we would really enjoy it if you, and we were like, heck yeah, let's do this. You stick your finger in her ass. You should, you know, uh, have her blow you while she's on top of him. You know, come over here and let me get on top of her and you fuck us both at the same time. Like, you know, it, it just led us into this, like, really, really cool experience that night. Returning to Casey and Ashley, their first experience was a great time, but not exactly what they had imagined. This sort of all started with your fantasy of seeing his dick get sucked. How was it? Did it live up to the fantasy? It lived up and then some. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, and by the way, that's called a blowjob sandwich for anybody listening um, when it's two women on one guy. Okay, so you just didn't want to passively watch him get a blowjob. You wanted to do a team blowjob. Yeah, I felt like. That would have been the ultimate way to please no, him. No, you did step back and admire for a second. <laughs> of course, of yeah. course. Um, so, you know, initially it was just actually, we we didn't even know we were swingers until we knew we were swingers. Right. <laughs> because initially we were just looking for what they call is a unicorn, um, a single female that just comes you can do threesomes you can do whatever and they're usually they're easier unattached, usually. yeah they're unattached and unicorns are called that because they're elusive but so when you rare. get them they're just they're perfect <laughs> 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 so uh so we were looking for a unicorn and casey yeah after we had g gotten done talking about it so much casey took it upon himself to make a post and just, just um, to see just to see what's going on yeah and uh <laughs> Somebody bit. Oh, that was so exciting. I was it like, was. Ashley, I got to tell you something. Yeah. I made a post and I, somebody's replying. <laughs> and I wasn't even mad. <laughs> Not at all. And um, so she replied. And then after we got to talking, she, it was kind of strange. She kind of did a little bait and switch. Bait and switch on us. Like, because, hey, I got this man that's mine and he wants to watch. Yeah, because then she told us about her husband and that he needed to be present and to make sure everything was kosher and nothing happened to her. And we were just like, okay, cool. He seemed he can reasonable. Watch. Yeah. yeah. And it was the strangest thing because when they came over and we all ended up meeting, we meshed perfectly super good vibes everybody you know in all directions meshed really well and casey got the weirdest burst of confidence i ever saw in my life <laughs> and he, <laughs> we were all flirting very heavily and he just decided to be very exhibition-y and had sex with me right in front of them and they loved it they and did love it that was fun that started our journey <laughs> yeah then we then we kind of hung out with them for we a while. We didn't even actually that. get to the blowjob the first night. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys not actually have any physical contact with the other couple? You just sort of performed for them. You put on a show. Yeah, we basically put on a show, but we did do some light, like like some petting, a and little bit of to touching, some snuggling, but nothing sexual. It was all very sensual. Yeah, sensual and just a very soft swap. I wouldn't even say swap. Because there was there was nothing really going on. It wasn't until the second, until time, the second time that they yeah. had come over that we had started doing soft swap. The terms soft swap and full swap, sometimes also called hard swap, get thrown around a lot in swinger circles. And 
there's a ton of debate about the former in particular and what exactly it entails. In the course of these conversations, I heard a wide range of definitions, and some of them directly contradicted each other. One very experienced swinger told me that soft swapping does not include kissing, while other equally experienced folks told me that soft swapping is mostly about kissing. There's also a lot of debate about whether soft swapping includes oral sex. But there seems to be more agreement about what qualifies as a full swap. So here are Angela and Bradford from the By the By podcast to expand on that. Full swap is, I'm going to say penetrative sex, but sometimes when you get into same gender play, that becomes a lot more difficult to define. So whatever sex looks like to you. Yeah. And it's very interesting because that definition right there is what is sex? Yeah. And so, so many people assume that sex means penis and vagina. Mm -hmm. That's what sex is to them. But I think the, the older we get and the more we, you know, spend time with both, you know, our own gender and genders, not of our own, uh, we find that sex is a very hard thing to define. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people think sex means something completely different, you know, to what, others think of, which again, goes back to the communication. Let's just, let's describe, uh, before we get into the play, mm -hmm. uh, what, what are you comfortable with? What are we not comfortable with? And there is a ton of diversity in terms of what people in the lifestyle are comfortable exploring. Here's the owner of Sin's Lifestyle Club, who has been in the lifestyle for about 19 years. Everybody talks about gotta hate that term wife swapping or full swapping or whatever. We know tons of couples that never ever do that ever it's not what they want they that's not where they got to they're voyeurs or it's same room sex or it's soft swapping or it's something that's where they get it that's what does it for them and anything else is it nope we don't need it it makes me uncomfortable and i'm not going to go there now maybe in five years that attitude changes but that's the idea you just like you know, so many couples we know that took them 10 years before they even had a conversation about opening up their relationship. It might be five years later when they're having a conversation about actually doing a, a, a full swap. To me, those are the most successful couples. We tell people all the time that one, take it slow. Two, the morning after you do a full swap, if you ever reach a, le a level where you do a full swap, the morning after that, you're going to look at each other in a whole different way. It changes you. It changes your relationship when you, when you do something like that, when you bring that into a relationship. How has it changed your relationship? It removes you from a lot of things that you grew up with that you were told were wrong, that you were told would send you to hell would, that you were told were immoral or illegal or this or that, or would lead to this or that. And you wake up the next day and you realize that I'm still incredibly in love with this person, but man, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and that's when you realize that I don't need to be where I was. I could get out of my skin and I can do something else and we can have this between the two of us. That it's possible to be in love with someone and have sex with another person. Absolutely. And enjoy that experience Absolutely. and not have the guilt and the deceit that comes with that in sort of typical marriages. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Richard and Lauren from the Room 77 podcast think of swinging as a spectrum, and they've observed quite a few people across said spectrum reject the term swinger altogether. We definitely meet every single variation, and none of them, none of them like labels. No, no one wants. No to one be, wants. To, no one wants a label. On I them. think that's ha- half the reason people are like I'm not. In, I'm not in the lifestyle. Yeah. We've like, had people. I who, only smoke on vacation. I'm not a smoker. Yeah, we've had uh, people. We talk to people where they're like, "Oh, well, we're we're not in lifestyle at all. We're not." And then the conversation goes on for about two or three minutes, <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh, that happened with us. We were with another couple last night." We're like, "Wait, wait, what? You just said you were in the lifestyle." Like, well, I mean, we we do sometimes. We're like, oh, this is so confusing, right? And I mean, I think I think part of it is that at some point the term swinger just just became a little bit of a stereotype and yeah, it's it hard. was yeah. no one likes it you know i think i think a lot of people when they think of the word swinger they think of sort of like leathery retirees from reno from <laughs> reno <laughs> yeah which yeah. i'm glad that you know reno's retirees get it on because i think everyone should they get it on a little too much actually (laughs) but but for like younger people i think a lot of them got sort of like turned off by that stereotype but it seems like that's changed somewhat recently like there's a there's a resurgence of young people or or have they always been there now i think that i think the age range is the demographic is getting younger well, I think that I think I think generation is is helping sexuality a lot. I think the 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 minds are def- we're seeing minds open up. The younger the generation that comes to the resort, the usually the more open mind they are, minded they are. One of the ways the newest generation of swingers are often more open-minded is in how they view same-sex contact between men in the lifestyle. And we will get a little more into that later. Almost everyone I spoke with for this episode expressed a love for watching their significant others have sex with other people. Often the word compersion is used to describe this phenomenon, which is frequently defined as the opposite of jealousy is watching each other with other people a big part of this for for you too for me absolutely i agree it is and and sometimes um even though i can't always see him if i can hear a woman just gasping um an orgasm and i know that he's doing that to her i'm like heck yeah that's awesome like i saw so, so so seeing it and hearing it and that type of thing I'm like, oh, girl, you have no idea. He's so good at what he does. <laughs> um, so it's it, 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 it's absolutely um, part of that positive vibe that comes out of it. Um, oh, yeah. Your, your facial expressions when you're just kind of at the bottom of a pile or when you're just kind of, you know, over and enjoying yourself and you just look like you're having out of this world fun. And that is a huge, huge turn on. For yeah. You. Yeah. I mean, I have a really strong compersion reflex. <laughs> to, you know, I, I just love watching you. Yeah. You're great. That helps. That absolutely helps. I like seeing the other woman be hungry for him. Um, him want to do it, but waiting for me to say yes. You know, it's it's 
maybe it's a control thing. I'm not sure. But uh, I enjoy all the aspects of it. And we did get a unicorn at one point. It was great. I just kind of sat back for a minute and let them do their thing. And I was just kind of coaching them on and saying, yeah, you're doing a great job riding him. And I mean, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was really, really great for me. And I'm sure I don't think he's complaining. Oh, there's no complaints here. Yeah, <laughs> not, not at all. Does it feel different watching her with women and watching her with men? Um, the women I have zero, zero qualms about. But with the men, it's just I, I feel like I need to watch them every now and then just to make sure they're treating her right. <laughs> you feel like men could just use a little more supervision sometimes. I don't know. I guess it might just be an instinct thing. It might be kind of like, that's my woman. You better better not do anything bad to her. You know, have you witnessed anything where you felt you had to step in and you were like, hey, you're not treating my wife how you should? No, not yet. It's uh, Ashley's pretty, pretty quick to put anything out that she doesn't like anyway. But how do you feel when you see me with girls? Oh, when I see you with girls? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. These are some (laughs) bad girls. And so are you. It's great. (laughs) Oh, man. I think a lot of people have this fantasy, and one of the fears is that you might get jealous in the middle of it. Have you had that feeling at all or no? Um, I had I had jealousy one time, but it wasn't even actually about the sexual aspect. It wasn't it was more about the aspect of me wondering if a woman would catch feelings for him. Yeah, and it's a, it's one thing to play, and it's another thing to catch some feelings and take it too far. Yeah, we did have um, this woman and a couple that she just seemed like she was just getting more attached than I was personally comfortable with. And that's the only time that I have gotten jealousy over it, like the physical aspect or, you know, watching him or anything like that. I've never been jealous. I've been encouraging. Encouraging, Yeah, yes. and happy about it. It makes me happy. And so there's really not a lot of jealousy. And if there is any kind of jealousy when you first start, you really have to take a step back and you really have to be self-aware enough to just be like, okay, is this a real thing or is it perceived? Am I imagining it? And is it just my insecurities? And what gave you the impression that she was too attached? Um, Well, we do have an open phone policy. And so, you know, Ash and I switch phones. We read through all the messages and stuff. And the way that uh, she was talking about Ashley, not in like any terrible way, but just venting. She was basically saying that I didn't treat my husband right and alluding to the fact that she could treat him better. And that was too far. And that was too far. And we immediately put a stop to things at that point. Absolutely. Um, That is an issue in the lifestyle. You can easily become attached to people because, you know, you're sharing the most intimate part of being a human with other people and with that you know serotonin and a lot of emotions can get caught into play and you just have to be really mindful of that and really careful so i am aware of that it doesn't make me hate her or anybody that catches feelings like that it's just something that you have to watch out for and catch early so that it doesn't turn into something that it shouldn't be and of course communication is 100 yes. percent always talking important because we don't want to wreck our relationship. We like what we have here. We didn't get, uh, we read about a lot of couples that get into the lifestyle to fix their marriage or to liven up their dead bedrooms or whatever. And I really personally believe those are the wrong reasons for getting into it. Another common thread across the many 
conversations I had for this episode was a shared belief that swinging should be used to enhance high-functioning, healthy relationships rather than to prop up or revive struggling ones. A few people also brought up negative experiences they've had with couples whose dynamics were less than ideal, including Cece, a single female who has been in the lifestyle around four years. I had one experience where I left a hotel room in the middle of night and without almost half of my belongings just because the, the I was it was so uncomfortable. The, the couple got into a raging fight kind of in the middle of everything. And did it have to and do with jealousy or? Yeah, it was, it was definitely fueled by jealousy. They had a throwdown fight in, in the bathroom with the door closed. I took that opportunity to gather every one of my belongings that I could find in the dark and just kind of run out of there. I even stopped at the desk and mentioned that they might send somebody up to check on them. Because I, I not only just, I, I was beyond just discomfort. I, you know, I, I feared for my safety and her safety. It was upsetting. So was he the one who was the jealous one? Yes. That's how that's, yeah, that's how that particular incident started. He'd left to have a cigarette and he came back in and we were on the bed and he felt left out. And just sort of lost it and it was scary. Yeah. And I think they had some other history things in there in their relationship that had caused some of those sensitivities. I think there were some infidelities that I didn't have all the details to that caused knee-jerk reaction when he saw her with someone else and he wasn't there. Overall, Cece's experience with this world has been a positive one, though she did have more fun exploring the lifestyle earlier into this journey when she was part of a couple. Partially because, in her experience, taking on the role of that highly coveted unicorn can be more than a little overwhelming, especially online. As a single woman, it's also obviously scarier when shit goes off the rails with another couple. That said, jealousy is less of an issue with most of the couples I spoke with for this episode than people outside of the lifestyle might expect. And often when it came up, it had nothing to do with possessiveness, but rather a sense of fairness, which was the case with a couple we will call Kelly and Zach on their very first foray to a swingers club. We did struggle with jealousy. When we left the first night... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to amend what you're saying, because what I was struggling with was not jealousy. It was envy. Which brings us to the topic of ED issues at Swingers right. Club. So, so the, so the <laughs> that, club environment is an erotic it. environment. It is an intense environment. But sometimes it, it's a bit too much. I would say at least half I of would, men. I would say more than half of the men I have met have at the club have a hard time. Getting hard. Or well, maintaining. Right. And it's the maintaining that is typically the problem. So for to have a good time. He needs a willing participant who is eager and attractive. I need a willing participant who's eager and attractive and who's also used to the club environment and whose equipment works. Which can be more difficult to find, at least in Kelly's experience. Men can also feel envious and left out at swinger events. The last time we were in an orgy, I was actually kind of getting jealous because you looked like you were having just the time of your life and... 
I wasn't really getting as much attention as I wanted to, but I knew that she was from having her fun. From her or from people in general? People in general. Um, I, I didn't care that she wasn't with me. I was just kind of like, oh, she looks like she's having a great time. And I'm, I'm over here having fun, but it doesn't look like that much fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it also sounds like uh, an orgy is her ideal environment as well. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely. Um, and unfortunately, women do tend to get more attention. Uh, shocking inject- no one. Yeah, shocking no one. Um, there, there's some people who um, are like, I play with my husband and other women only. Um, or there's a lot of girl on girl action. There's sometimes where it's just girls um, and the guys watch. So um, and sometimes, it- and it can be really frustrating when you're in a room with two people, like if you're at a club or a party or something like that, and they both bring you in the room, and the wife or the significant other is just like. I just like to watch. I'm like, well, I'm not here to like just have Linda get railed by some guy that's nice. And I like double teaming her just as much as the next guy. But at a certain time, I'm like, I thought you were really pretty and we connected too. I'd like to play with you. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. I've never had a jealousy issue because I always knew that I was going home with Boba. And uh, we do actually spend time usually on Sundays, to just reconnect with each other. And I think that has absolutely helped. Um, also, you know how to, you know every button to push on me, and I know every button to push on you. So it's not, I'm not going to find somebody out there that randomly hits the mark the way that you do. Yeah, it's true. Like, I've had a lot of fun at the orgy, but um, the best sex I've had is has been with Boba, hands down. Um, I have not had um, better sex. Um swinging quite honestly i am pretty great yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so even one-on-one sex with your husband beats an orgy most days yes absolutely um just because like he said he knows which buttons to push he knows exactly how to get me on you know another stratosphere and while I, I greatly enjoy doing the orgies, it's just a very different type of vibe. It can be hard to perform in a group. and um, perform more of a male issue than a female one. No, it could be women too. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah? It can be women too. They're, you know, It's one of those things where it, it, it can be incredibly hard to orgasm. I've been lucky enough that I, I have before in a, a group setting and such, but... Um, not every time. Not every time. Yeah, not every time. And there's a lot of times when a lot of the guys just never come. Yeah. During an orgy or group thing. Mm-hmm. More often than not, to be honest. Yeah. Even though Linda and Boba rank their one-on-one sexual experiences with each other above their lifestyle escapades, the joy and pleasure swinging has brought them is undeniable. I think it has made us much better at sex and much more uh, ready to experience something new. You know, hey, new toy, <laughs> let's try it. Uh, new position, let's try it. Um, you never were able to squirt before we entered the lifestyle. That's true. That's true. Um, so uh, that was a, a mind-blowing experience that I never thought I would have. Female ejaculation came up during a lot of these conversations, including in my chat with Kelly, Zach, and their baby. Kelly had some history with it, 
But since entering the lifestyle, it is every orgasm, every time. So you've become like a full blown squirter. Yes. But the word squirt is not. You're not a fan of it. No, No, it's 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 not not adequate. It's not adequate. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Like like squirt means it's like a little bit out of a water gun or something. No, no, no. No, what we're talking about is more like you turn the hose on full blast. Like I can, I, I have hit people across the room. Anyway, <laughs> so I don't but, know if that's but, on topic, but 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 no, but it started that night for me. No, I mean I think this is super relevant because it's an example of something major that's come out of discovering right. this lifestyle. Right, and so um, I had had that happen before, but I never really knew how it happened. It was always sort of, oh wow, that's a surprise, right? But now every time this is what happens. Every time. And for a lot of women, it's like a specific type of stimulation. But for me, it can be clitoral. It can be penetrative. It can be digital. It's mental. It actually, yeah, I, I, I can, I can just. So you're saying you can achieve this with just your mind? Uh, a friend would be whispering in her ear right. so and I touching have, her body. Right. I have had squirting orgasms during a massage <laughs> and while giving oral. Kelly credits swinging with helping her to see herself as sexy and desirable, which probably played a big role in this explosive development. A few of the men I spoke with, including Zach, mentioned recently obtaining a level of self-confidence they never thought was possible prior to entering the lifestyle. Almost everyone I spoke with also said that swinging has helped them sharpen various sexual skills. I think I'm better at giving head now. Oh, yeah, you've you've become quite good at that. (laughs) What did you learn about giving head that you didn't know before? Well, one is focusing, right? Because when you're at a play party, um, there's a lot of things going on. And even when I'm giving head, like there, I might be getting fucked by somebody or somebody might be eating me out. And there's just all of this other stimuli. So really being able, really focusing (laughs) on the dick in front of me um, and giving it proper attention and really being in tuned to the guy that I'm giving head so that, you know, I'm picking up on, oh, when I'm, you know, rotating my hand or, you know, when I'm, you know, massaging his balls, he's res- responding in a certain way so that I'm going to continue to do that to to give him more pleasure. Right. Um, and so just being with other guys you learn that you know other people like different things so it it allows you or requires you to um add more tools to your tool toolbox um so yeah (laughs) right and i imagine if if you can figure out how to how to do a great job while you know two other people are yeah (laughs) are are having things going on then you know when it's just one-on-one yes and also just seeing other people's technique and methods um one of our one of our couple friends she gives amazing hand jobs like artistic magical looking hand jobs and I was (laughs) like I want to learn how to do that you know so just watching her technique because I had just never seen that done in that way before and so like just being around different people with all these different sexual histories um you just pick up different things how does one give a magical hand job (laughs) 
<laughs> so one, there's lots of lube and there is a two hand twisting motion that rotates around the balls and up. It, it really is like synchronized swimming um, on a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and she's gorgeous, too. So like that makes it even better. <laughs> Boba believes swinging has upped his cunnilingus game, and Linda went down on a woman for the very first time during their first encounter with another couple. I really wasn't sure what I was doing. Uh, it was just one of those things where I was like, well, I kind of like this, so I'm going to try and, and do the same type of, you know, using my tongue and mouth and pressure and that type of thing um, on another person. And, you know, she responded great. And so I was like, okay, let's just keep doing this then. And uh, so it, it was just kind of a go with the flow um, of a positive feedback loop. You know, if you hear people, you know, having fun and, and moaning and screaming and stuff like that in, in a great way, then you're like, okay, they seem to like this. They enjoyed this. Let's keep doing this. I also help try to like get you familiarized with your own anatomy, being like, it's going to be the same way over here. You just like, you know, that's the glitterous, you know, this is what you should do to it. And, you know, and I tried to give you some instruction a little bit, I think. But, yeah, maybe briefly, you know, but you know, in the moment, it kind of just goes right out of your head. Well, you Mike, know, Mike Tyson says everybody has a plan for the fight until punches start getting thrown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I found it very easy to connect with a woman. I didn't think it was going to be. Um, but basically, I found out that, you know, um, soft lips are soft lips. Um, boobs are wonderful again. And Second. yeah, and, 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 you know, and, and sometimes, you know, with my eyes closed, I don't know, you know, who's, who's touching me and it still feels good. So, um, I, I just kind of was like, okay, let's go with this. Uh, and, and I never felt uncomfortable. I, I knew I could say no, but I was having so much fun that I never felt the need to say no. Prior to that, Linda identified as straight. Mainstream swinging or traditional swinging, as Bradford from By the By prefers to call it, is a lot like mainstream porn, where it's a given that the women will engage in sex acts with each other, regardless of how they personally identify, while the men the men avoid physical contact with each other as much as they can. The women will, air quotes, start the play and they'll play with one another. The guys will watch and then there'll be that partner swapping. And that's just how it is. The two guys don't do anything other than laugh, talk and drink beer. I mean, I am making a very blanket statement there. Uh, but that mentality is pretty common in the swinger world of you know, there are men out there who are not even comfortable with incidental touching. So it's it's very frustrating when you're in a play situation, um, you know, you to, to be constantly aware of your where your body is and be cognizant not to touch another human when four humans are in a, you know, in a bed. And it is almost expected that the females will play with each other and will have attraction and interaction, but that's not always the case. We have a number of female friends who are completely straight and they don't necessarily really want that. But there is, I would say, in the greater community, the expectation that that's going to happen. 
One criticism I hear quite a bit about the swinging world at large is that it is incredibly unfriendly to bi-identified men. Some people I spoke with for this episode echoed that assertion, while others said the overall swinging scene is becoming at least a little more open-minded in this regard. People are a lot more relaxed now than they were six years ago uh, about the discussion of it, the conversation about it, and accepting that many men are at least curious as to what it's like to to play with another guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's better than it was. Have you been kind of the the gateway cock for for a lot of them? <laughs> Man, I have been so many men's first. They call me training wheels. Uh, it's um, you know I'm very comfortable in my sexuality, and I'm very comfortable playing with people, and I'm also very comfortable playing with people who have little to no experience. So you know, it's I'm very happy to to be that you know the gateway. <laughs> <laughs> Bradford and Angela are American expats living in Sydney, Australia, where they are married. And even though they've witnessed progress on this front, Bradford has observed that different swinging venues located in the very same city can have completely different attitudes about male bisexuality. In Sydney, as Angela said, there's two clubs. Uh, One I would call a much more traditional old school swingers club. And one is a much more, well, the one that we go to, uh, Our Secret Spot, is very much a open, safe space. The owners there are completely, they're very clear. This is a safe space. Anybody who wants to come can come, except for single men. But that's a whole other problem that we can discuss down the road with uh, most swingers clubs. But Angela and I host, we call them pendulum parties, and it's a chance for people to swing both ways. And it's a, it's a safe space to play with your sexuality and, and play with a gender maybe of your own, the same gender that you, you identify with. And so while that happens at Our Secret Spot, there are club, the other club in Sydney, just I would never feel comfortable playing with another male in that club just because of the mentality that's behind the ownership of that club. There's another new club here in Australia uh, called The Rabbit Hole down in, in Adelaide, mm-hmm. and they're, it's very similar. It's a safe space for anybody who wants to go and play. And I think it's so important for communities in general to feel like they can be safe and be 100% authentic. Uh, and I'm a firm believer that this old school way of, you know, men don't touch men or or bisexuality in women is is a commodity, but bisexuality in men is a curse. I think that's dying. I think that's going by the wayside because the younger swingers that we see coming into the into the swinger world, they don't really care. They're a lot more play fluid, they're a lot more gender fluid, and they're a lot more sexually, they they just tell you what they like and don't like. And as long as you can abide by those rules, then you're welcome to play. This topic also came up with the bomber and the bell. I think there's a, a much lower degree of tolerance mm-hmm. um, in the black in the black community, black lifestyle community, much lower tolerance for 
by men, I think. So I, I just, I haven't been exposed to any sort of progressive movement in that area yet. Like if they accidentally touch during play because everybody's on a bit, like there has to be a conversation. Yeah. Like, like somebody has to be like, yo man, my bad. Like I didn't mean to touch you. Like that wasn't nothing going on. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah. And I mean, that, that has its own context with issues in our community um, around individuals who are, are queer or non-binary identifying um, and, and being in our community. It's always been more accepted as women, um, although that's still, you know, it has to be an effeminate woman um, and those kind of things. But yeah, I think that there's uh, less room mm-hmm. uh, yet within our community for men to yeah. come out in that way. And what, I mean, uh, just in full disclosure here, there was one couple we played with um while we were on a trip um and during the course of conversation before we played with this coupling clearly you know uh the bell played with the 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 male and i played with the female um the the male did uh, share some aspects of his sexuality that suggested that he wasn't that that he was somewhat um that there was some bi, Open-minded. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's because because there was. It's so hard to describe because he talked about like you know being with trans. Uh, gosh, what is it? Trans woman. Mm-hmm. Trans, a trans, trans woman. woman. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about that. You know, he's not necessarily doesn't necessarily consider himself bi, but if something happens, like he's welcoming of it. If it's if the vibe is there. And I was like in my head, I was like, oh well, we're not playing with this couple. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just knew the bomber was going to be like, no. <laughs> yeah, um, but you surprised me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, because I think I made it pretty clear that you know he he seemed well. He seemed pretty experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so uh, that's one thing that sort of made me a little bit more comfortable. Um, and yeah, that was that that was an experience that just went okay. But that was sort of the first time we. I sort of allow that to happen. I think in terms of our relationship and sort of the way we play, there's there's still some things we're learning and still some things we're sort of getting comfortable with. Right. And and in terms of just thinking about these issues as just sort of a, a straight guy, you know, it seems like that didn't make you that uncomfortable. You just I assume you just made it clear what your boundaries were. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and, and how how did you go about that? Because that that could be a delicate type of thing as well. Well, I mean, I think during the course of the conversation, we were just sort of all sharing what our sexual preferences were. And were. and we played on separate beds. Yeah, we played on separate beds, and then um, after we had finished playing, he was flog- he was flogging me, and so then he asked. <laughs> If you wanted to be flogged as well. So he didn't quite ask if I wanted to get flogged. Oh, if, he, if he did ask me that, I might have had a problem with it. But no, <laughs> he he was brushing the flogger thing on your skin. Oh, yeah. And you were like, oh, that feels nice. And then again, this is one of those really subtle situations, right? He he and then he asked, yo, do, do you want to feel it as well? Not to flog me, just to feel what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And I remember inside my head, like. This was one of those situations where if I said yes, 
it it would have been just a little bit of a step into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to quite describe it, but it was, a, again, it was a subtle, meaningless gesture that also meant everything. And I remember saying no because of that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you have this flogger in your hands, you touching me with it, mm-hmm. it it's it's sexual now. Yes. Now, now yeah. and, and that doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was a really interesting experience. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Uh, right, it'd almost be like perhaps you were leading him on if if you were to agree to that. Yeah, and exactly, or or I just wasn't sure. Right, right? I I didn't know, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't even want to. I didn't even yeah. want to make that a possible thing. Yeah, you just um, kept the keep keep it a hard line. Yeah. Aside from Bradford, all of the men I spoke with for this episode identify as straight. But there was more variation among the women. Kelly was the only one who used the word straight to describe herself, though she still plays with other women in the lifestyle as foreplay, which is very similar to how the Belle approaches sexual exploration with other women. You're very dick-oriented. Yes, I I am very dick-focused, dick-oriented. You know... Pleasure is interesting Um, and how we receive pleasure can be come in varying different ways. So to me, playing with girls is foreplay, right? It'll get me hot. It'll get me ready for the situation. But at the end of the day, I I have to have penetration Um, and either it's by a penis or fingers, um, preferably something live. I'm really not a fan of dildos. But yeah, I does it have to be a man's fingers? No, it doesn't have to be a man's fingers, but I have not had a female give me a finger bang like a guy. Okay. That is that is satisfying <laughs> like a guy. Um <laughs> La- Ladies need to to up their finger banging. Yes, they do. Game, <laughs> yes. Rather. They, now they'll eat pussy until, you know, next Tuesday. Um but the finger game? Yeah, I don't know if they're shy about it. I don't I don't know what it is. Um but it's interesting because you know, in the lifestyle a lot of women are bi, are fully bi. Um you know, and I can be satisfied with just playing with other women. And so I'm kind of an anomaly, an outlier in that I just I always have to have dick. Um, So, you know, and that sometimes inhibits us from playing with couples uh, because the the girl will want to fully play with me and I'm just not interested in eating pussy. Um, (laughs) And I'm not going to get fully off by her eating my pussy or him for that matter. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's an appetizer. I enjoy it. Um, I love titties. I love a big booty. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's dick. Dick. It's about the dick. Yes. It's all about the D. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how how do you I identify in terms of your sexuality? <laughs> I have a lot of fun ways to say. Um, I say I'm bi above the waist uh, often, <laughs> um, or I'm bi-ish. Um, you know, so I think sexuality is so fluid and there's so many levels to it and there's so many um situational and contextual parameters to it there may be a day where I meet a girl that you know she can get me off and I want to eat her pussy I haven't met her yet and I don't know if she's out there but I'm not saying that it is not a possibility um we just haven't found her yet well well you you have uh expressed some interest in using a strap on yes no that I do want to try I do want to try a strap on using a strap on on a girl. 
And what about that sort of seems interesting to you? I think it's about the the power shift, like the dominance um, and giving pleasure. Like now I like riding guys because you're kind of in a control position and you really are controlling their pleasure and you can, you know, really see how much they're enjoying you. Um, so I kind of want to see that role of how I can give a woman pleasure with an appendage, just not with my mouth. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and and have you never done that at all? Like ever? Oh, no. I tried to eat pussy and I didn't like it. I actually tried it twice. Didn't like it. I tried scissoring. Didn't like that shit either. Um, <laughs> so I'm always willing to try something once at least before I say it is not for me. <laughs> the Bell and the Bomber are based in Washington, D.C., and mentioned in the first episode of their podcast that, up until that point, they had only played with other Black couples. But that's no longer the case. No, we play with anybody we think is sexy. Um, Pretty much. <laughs> so, you know, we, we do play with uh, Black couples a lot um, because in our kind of, I guess, lifestyle friend circle, it tends to be more Black. But we also play with white couples, uh, Latino couples. We've missed a chance. With the Indian couple, and yeah, we haven't really played with the Asian couple. Good God, they were so um, sexy. But yeah, <laughs> we haven't. Uh, we we're we're pretty um, heterogeneous with our uh, play couples. Yeah, <laughs> you two have done some traveling and gone to parties outside yeah. of DC. Yeah, yeah. Have Have you noticed major regional differences in sort of the places you've been going? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. definitely. Um, definitely. <laughs> you know, one, one place we went to, and we, we had a, a couple of episodes where we mentioned this, but we went to Vegas recently. Uh, and we, we thought Vegas was going to be crazy. Yeah. We thought if DZ was like, like it is the, the Vegas must be off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, and either we just did not find the right circles, uh, or, um, you know, we're right in our assumption that it's, it's just not, it's not like that at all. Um, you know, the lifestyle scene is very, uh, it seemed like it was really focused on like the locals of Vegas. Um, and there didn't seem to be quite the quality of space for folks that were coming to visit. Um, it was like the opposite of what you think of Vegas. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't like over the top in your face. Mm -hmm. Um, the couples were nice and, they were fairly diverse. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like when I think Las Vegas Sin City, it was nothing like it that. Wasn't it was fabulous. very yeah, it wasn't That's fabulous. It was a very subdued, laid back kind of lifestyle scene. <laughs> right, right. Which is which is fine. It just it it we were surprised to 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 find that to be the case in Vegas. Yeah. As far as other places we've gone, I mean, we've gone to Atlanta. Um, yeah. We went to one of the lifestyle clubs out there. Trapeze. Trapeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, that was all right. Um, I think we were surprised that given the demographics of Atlanta, I mean, they're, they're just a large there's a lot of black people in Atlanta. Yes, <laughs> uh, but in that particular club, that they, that was not represented in that no. club at all, um, and that that was really surprising. It, I mean, again, we could have gone on the on a bad night or something, but mm-hmm. um, but we were we were somewhat surprised. So I think you know, as far as traveling around the country uh, and seeing the you know small local lifestyle communities, we haven't seen anything that's quite matched DC. No, um, you know, but we have gone on some you know lifestyle vacations. I mean. 
mean, you know, we've we've gone on the Bliss Cruise, for example, and that was a lot of fun. But, you know, again, that's a cruise and not, not necessarily a particular geographic area of, uh, of the country, but a, a gr- great way to bring people together. One issue they address on the Black and Kinky Lifestyle podcast is microaggressions they experience in predominantly white swinger spaces. To preface this, no one is ever being malicious. Anytime that we've experienced microaggressions, it's never, it's always been of pure intent, right? Someone is just trying to be nice. They're trying to say the right thing or think they're doing something that you would like. And it just is not received the right way. So, you know, my big thing is about white men in particular touching my hair without asking. Because one, I don't know where your hand's been. They literally could have just been in pussy. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I, I would like, you know, some agency with my body to say, you know, that you can or cannot touch me. There are times where... You know, we've interacted with white people who have made our blackness a a thing and sort of and sort of forget that we are actually just people Mm -hmm. that happen to be black. We know we're black. Um, And when you make it a thing without, you know, uh, establishing some degree of trust, it it can throw it can turn us off. Mm -hmm. Um, So. So, yeah. So that again, in the lifestyle, like the bell said, you know, it comes with a smile, like microaggressions come with a smile, um, uh, but they can be really sort of a huge turnoff. Is there any advice for them in terms of not being the people who turn you off? Because, you know, obviously, if they're interacting with you. That's not their goal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I think we've talked about before, like boosting your cultural competence. Um, So, you know, one thing is educating yourself as a white person (laughs) um, and not relying on other black people or other people of color to provide that education for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's approaching a person just as a person, like the bomber said, not immediately calling out our blackness or our otherness. So your first compliment to me should not be on how you love my brown skin um, or how you wish you could be this color, you know, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) stay away from those kinds of things. Um, And really, you know, you can talk about my smile. You can talk about my boobs. Like, you know, all women have titties. So (laughs) that's, you know, Know, fair game. Um, but anything that is uh, singling us out specifically, particularly when it's a crowd where we may be the only black couple um, mm-hmm. or, you mm-hmm. know, one of the few black couples in the place. And yeah, and somebody if somebody does bring it up, it can it can be really threatening. It's co- sort of like a code red, like, OK, is this person racist? Like, right. what, why are they bringing up race? Like, why can't they just talk about, you know, where I'm from? You know, how long I've been in the lifestyle? How long have I been married to my partner? Uh, you know, uh, where did I grow up? You know, uh, there are all kinds of other ways of getting to know someone. I'd say, I'd say just stay away from the race thing mm-hmm. um, until you've established a good degree of trust. That's that's probably my my biggest uh, piece of advice to white folks who want to get to know a black couple. And how common is that for that to sort of be the opening line, something that really makes an issue out of race from just the get go? Oh, it's pretty common. Yeah, It, it happens fairly regularly. Yeah, I would say it happens more often 
then it does not happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because I, I think a lot of times white couples or, you know, couples that aren't of color really just have not had any kind of close interaction with people of color or black people. And so that's the first, you know, this is their first time that they can ask somebody or say what they really feel, that they really love, you know, our hair, our skin color or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, And because the lifestyle can be such a uh, open and welcoming place, which it is, they feel safe to say these things and and ask certain questions. And (laughs) it's 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 not okay. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, that that's a great point. I, the the idea that folks actually feel safe, like you you know, it's it you know, people are open, people are exposing themselves, people are walking around naked, mm-hmm. and so they feel like, well, I can sort of be honest about these things, right. and, and and you know, uh, bring up issues of race and otherwise, and and people won't get offended. And it um, seems like a compliment, right? If you don't know any better, right? <laughs> and and the thing is, uh, what I what I would add to this is that. I think in our experience, when we're at a lifestyle party, just to sort of make the comparison of, of, of periods where I feel a little bit white, and I know this is going to sound weird, um, <laughs> but when I see an Asian couple at a lifestyle event, yeah. that is the point at which I'm sort of, I, I can sort of get a sense of where white people are when they see a black person at a lifestyle event, because we rarely see Asian people at a lifestyle event Mm -hmm. and when we do it's always notable it's not like it you know i'll I'll tap the bell on the shoulder and be like bell there's like a hot asian couple here we you know we don't see that very often (laughs) and we may or may not walk up to that couple but we know we know one thing we're not gonna do is is walk up to that couple and say hey never seen an asian couple at one of these parties before (laughs) uh what asian country are you guys from you know uh, we don't we won't do that you know but um and so that's that's the that's the advice i'd lay lay down on folks their race becomes sort of an issue of interest to you so you can kind of see how that happens with other people you're just exactly more sensitive to the fact that people don't necessarily want to talk about ethnicity at a sex party right Exactly. exactly yes yes yeah, and so if we approach that couple, right, um, and again, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I mean, it's, again, it's just always notable. Um, if they're sexy, we're definitely approaching them. Yeah. I mean, well, just because of that, not because they're Asian, but because yeah. they're sexy. Right, right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the, the questions would be on getting to know who they are, not, not, not what they are, you know. Right. In not the last episode of my show, but the one before that, one of the topics we were getting into was the fetishization of Asian people. And I know that there there are quite a few people who fetishize Black people as well. I think particularly Black men, it's that BBC Mm -hmm. fantasy. Have you experienced sort of that phenomenon in the lifestyle as well? And how how do you just sort of feel about that and navigate that? That's got to be an (laughs) interesting thing. This this is a point of conflict between the Bell and I, because I actually... And this isn't like a surprise, like BBCs, like if, if, if a white, you know, this happened at, uh, I think this happened at a, a pool party we went to one time, um, where a, a white woman, you know, noticed that I was aroused and she was stroking it and she just called it a 
BBC. And she said, you have a BBC. Like, and I'm like, yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have much of a problem <laughs> with it. Um, and then there's the spade uh, uh, issue or queen of spade um, thing that uh, the bell has more of a problem with than I do. So I, but I, I think in general, men, men, black men in particular may have uh, may not be as sensitive to this kind of thing. Yeah, I just imagine if you're a black man with not a particular <laughs> big cock, it's got to be weird. Right, it's yeah. a, because look, just like any other penis, like black dicks come in all shapes and sizes, yeah, just like yeah. anybody else. And, you know, if you're not in that category, yes. And it, I and you're so, probably not going to go to the sex party, right? Right. It's it. That's where I I could see the damage of it, where it's sort of like disenfranchising mm -hmm. just average size dick guys. And of course, so many guys have this sort of dysmorphia about their penises. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So may, maybe it is actually big. But if they don't see it that way, then mm -hmm. they're going to be afraid to to take part. And I think, you know, this affects people of all races, but probably black men more so just mm -hmm. because of this stereotype and the expectations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a fan at all of BBC or BBC parties or Queen of Spades or any of that. Um, I'm just not comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does yeah. not make me feel good. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I think I think there is. But I think there is a, a strong gender dynamic going on there. Um, well, yeah. Because I don't because I don't think men in particular have been. uh historically placed in a sexualized fetishizing space um it's particularly been traditionally women who've been sexualized and so when when men are it's sort of like oh well if i'm a member of that group it's but I'm, see here's I'm the cool. thing like we're not just talking about men we're talking about black men and again we have to go back to the history of slavery of the bucks and breeding and the over sexualization of black people so all of that is tied mm -hmm. into the BBC moniker mm -hmm. and, you know, the, these women, particularly white women, wanting to be dominated by this hypersexualized black man mm -hmm. with this uh, abnormally large penis that is just going to, you know, tear her up. Mm -hmm. um, and so just knowing that I cannot get down with it. Right, right. Right, I mean, and it's, it's, see, I told you this was a source of conflict for us <laughs> because the because the truth is that there is a, a fantasy there um, that is shared not just by mm -hmm. white women but also by the black men who yes. are being fetishized. So, and the thing is, like, when does can a fantasy be racist? And if a fantasy is racist, is that wrong? If both parties are sort of buying into the fantasy. The topic of BBCs also came up in my conversation with Lauren and Richard from the Room 77 podcast. They actually live and work in a swingers resort, the Desire Riviera Maya Resort in Cancun, Mexico. And Richard has noticed that at the resort, which has a predominantly white clientele, both Asian men and black men are less likely to get naked in shared spaces and he believes it's because of the power of these stereotypes about cock size. I really believe that it is because Asians carry the stereotype of small penis, they will keep their shorts on. They, they just feel like it doesn't matter what my cock looks like. 
immediately everyone's going to look at it. And the same thing for black guys. A lot of black guys leave their shorts on because God forbid they have an average cock. They feel that everybody's going to look at me and be like, can't wait to see this big black cock. And that's just something that we, that's, I guess, I guess you could call it white privilege. I don't know. We don't really have to deal with it, right? As 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 a middle aged white man, <laughs> like there's um, the average white guy with his average penis, <laughs> right? There I am. Uh, <laughs> so it does suck. It sucks. So I'm six foot five. Mm-hmm. So I I sort of right. I, I can relate a little bit to the black thing, where like there there are definite expectations. So people imagine that your pants are going to come down, and a and a boa constrictor is supposed to fall out of your pants. That's what they expect. Exactly. That's what people expect. And we tell people, people, I don't care how many people you can tell. Like some say, well, you can tell by the size of their hands. I said, no, you can't <laughs> tell by anything. You're talking to people who have literally seen tens of thousands of cocks. I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. there is nothing on the human body that can tell you what, what? it looks like. It's they're just not. I've done it. I've done my own survey. Look at his nose, his ears, his toes, his fingers, his everything. <laughs> There's nothing that is consistent. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. One of the things I learned during my conversation with the Bell and the Bomber is something you've already heard them reference a couple of times. There are women in the lifestyle who identify with the title Queen of Spades. Often people wear an anklet with a black spade or they'll get a tattoo with a black spade or there'll be parties named, you know, Queen of Spade parties where the crowd will be white women and black men. The problem is... Spade is a derogatory term for black people. Uh, and I, I don't know if those who choose to don the mo- moniker are aware of that, um, but it is. It's not as bad as the N-word. It's not as used as often, but, you know, it's up there with Coon, Piccaninny. Et cetera. I think you get the point. I have no problem with white women wanting to have sex with black men. I want to have sex with black men, so I understand why they would want to. But my issue is around the context and the terminology that's used in those practices. Right. I had no idea that was a thing at all. Like, I mean, I knew yes. that, you know, there, there were inter sort of interracial parties and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But like that terminology and that whole, I was, this is, this is all news to me. Yeah. Right. This is, and this is exactly like what, so this, again, this is another point of conflict because the, the spade term, like, that is not uh that is not common knowledge um i i don't think so because that's not something i grew up even understanding like that i didn't hear this this spade thing until until the lifestyle mm. um so and 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 so that tells me that not only is it that a lot of white people don't know I don't think a lot of black people know um, because there are people like, again, you, you can go on the, uh, you know, websites like Cassidy and uh, SLS and mm-hmm. see the title of these parties in full display. Nobody's really making a fuss about it, but I don't think that's because uh, they're inherently racist or purposely ignorant. Um, I think it's, it, 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 this this is new for a lot of people just like uh it, it was news for you chris and it uh it's something that we, we we're gonna go into a little bit more in depth about um but 
but yeah, I think when you see people with the tattoo and you see people with the chains, um, yeah, it's more so like, oh, I, I literally had no idea that this was an offensive term. I had no idea because clearly in the lifestyle, it's just been used all over the place. So folks just naturally make the assumption that it isn't offensive. So I don't think it's malicious at all. Um, but I think that there is a no, it, there's a norm around it being okay to use that term. And Some, the, somebody knows, somebody uh, knows okay. within that community, <laughs> and they have just been letting that fly. I just I cannot believe that nobody in that community has never Googled or anything like. And I'm from the South, so I've heard pretty much all of the uh, racial slurs that are under mm-hmm, the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I can't believe that everybody in the community is ignorant. I, I'm just that's not. <laughs> I don't work in absolutes. Um, so I don't believe that. And yeah, that's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so again, another, another area of conflict between the bell and the bomber you've uncovered here, Chris. Conflict is interesting. So yes. it's always, it's always great to hear. <laughs> um, and it seems like you, you two are a couple who can have these type of conflicts in a very sort of civil, playful way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, but I think the conflict is important because it reinforces the reality that within the black community, there is not only variation in terms of our experience, but there is a great deal of variation in our philosophy and our perspective um, on race. Mm -hmm. Um, when we talk about our podcast and why we put it together, we wanted to give a black perspective on um, being in the lifestyle, not the black perspective, right. because they're so varied. I mean, we have the Bell and I, um, you know, we have disagreements on issues of race all the time. And I think that's indicative of of the black community as well. One topic that came up during most of these conversations is the intersection of swinging and BDSM. Earlier, the bell mentioned a scenario where she was being flogged, which is actually a very infrequent occurrence for her. Usually when there's a a big event or a big party, there's a BDSM room, um, playroom. We don't um, participate in that as much. For a few reasons. One, I am not too much a fan of pain. I can, I like a little bit of spanking, maybe a little biting, um, but not some of the more intense activities that go on in the, the BDSM room. We're not necessarily going to see you strapped to a cross. No, no, you're not. <laughs> that, that's too, too much. But often the dungeon masters are old white men. And contextually, I have a problem (laughs) with old white men whipping me and beating me and strapping me to a cross. Um, And the I can't understand why. I know, right? Um, And so, and the reason why um, the the guy that we just talked about flogged me is because I had been wanting just to see what it was like. Um, And he was a person of color. He wasn't black. but like Middle Eastern, but he wasn't a, he was a person of color. And so that made me feel more comfortable to, to engage in that activity um, because he wasn't a white man. But um, right. It, it was just BDSM. It was not race. play, Right. Exactly. Um, and I feel like it can go into that place when it is a white man doing it. Um, so, yeah. So oftentimes, yeah, the, the worlds are pretty separated. We happen to stumble into a kink party one time, <laughs> unbeknownst to us. 
Um, and uh, they found us very uninteresting. I'll, I'll say that part. <laughs> right. Ironically, we're, we're, the title of our podcast is Black and Kinky, but apparently we weren't kinky Yeah, we enough. weren't kinky enough for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Bradford and Angela from By the By are on the complete other side of the spectrum when it comes to combining BDSM and swinging. It's a Venn diagram of swingers, poly folk, and BDSM people. And we sit right in the center of that Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. In fact, we've got a new bed that's being delivered today or tomorrow that is a built-for-purpose BDSM bed. We are seeing a bit of crossover between the two, a little more now. So most of the swingers clubs we've been to will have somewhere like a St. Andrew's Cross or something like that. And it's for people to play on if they want to. I'm going to say as a blanket generalization, many people at the swingers clubs just do it for a bit of fun. They don't take it super serious. That is, we've seen that obviously not always the case. Some people do take it very seriously and, and really do. But it's interesting to talk to friends of ours that are consider themselves to be only swingers and they're not really interested in BDSM whatsoever. And then we talk to friends who are very much into the BDSM world and not at all into the swinging world. And when they end up in the same spaces, it's interesting to see what surprises them about each of them because yeah. the the BDSM people are like, oh my gosh, they wanted me to have sex with them. And that's really surprising to them. And then the other people are like, oh my gosh, they wanted to do this to me. They or, didn't want to have sex with me. Yeah. <laughs> And and so it, it is interesting how the two worlds don't really overlap a lot. We do kind of traverse both here in Sydney, but it's not super common. And I think it's just like anything else. They just don't understand where the other one is coming from. And, yeah. and people can be scared to try something that they don't really understand very much. Whereas if you give it a try, give it a shot, you may actually really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. The very first person I spoke with for this episode is Joe the owner of the clubhouse, a lifestyle club in Albuquerque, and he's both a swinger and a BDSM enthusiast and a bit of a character. You know, a friend of mine actually uh, described me a few months ago. She was funny because she said, I always thought you were a swinger with a kinky side. It turns out you're really a kinkster with a swinging side. Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I always tell people, you know, this is why I can't live in the vanilla world, why I can't pick up vanilla women and stuff like that. I go to a bar and I say, hey, you know, I'd like to tie you up and set you on fire and then have sex with you. Next thing you know, law enforcement's there. I'm in handcuffs trying to explain what I meant. They're searching the house looking for bodies. It's just not worth it. So in the it seems like world, a lot of trouble. It, it really is. It's, it's a lot easier to come to, you know, places that are friendlier to it. And, and people, a lot of people that know me know that, know that I'm into this stuff. So they'll, they want to experience it. Um, and I'll, I'll do it with them so they have a safe experience. My thing is I want you to have a good time. With my club here, what we do is we've mixed BDSM and swinging together. And that's been a real big sticking point for a lot of people because the two communities, they're both alternative lifestyle communities, and they both have very different views, which is funny. Um, the BDSM, the kink community, you know, they look at swingers and they're very judgmental. And they're like, I can't believe they just want to have sex with everybody. And then swingers look at the kink community. I can't believe they just want to beat each other. We are actually introducing the swingers to the BDSM lifestyle of saying, here, this is what floggings like, spanking, caning, the, uh, rope, electricity, fire play, breath play. There's, there's a whole bunch of different fetishes and kinks that we introduce them to. Some of them take off with it. They have a blast. 
Others, yeah, it's, it's just not their thing. Like I said, we've we've successfully integrated the two communities. A lot of times the, the BDSM and kink community is very leery about going to places because of consent violations and things like that. We've changed that dynamic because we enforce our rules. One of the issues that a lot of the BDSM communities have is with alcohol. They don't want anyone drinking during events. And that's fine. I have no issue with that. But we allow people to drink at our events. So they've we had a bunch of people that went up in arms about, you know, oh, we're not going to go there because they allow alcohol. They'll go to a party where they allow people to get stoned and then play. And for me, that's a double standard of being a hypocrite. So I would I would much rather you have a drink or two and relax and then go play with your partner as long as you're both on the same page. You know, if you're drunk, no, you don't want to play with somebody. The consumption of drugs and alcohol is often a touchy issue when it comes to sex parties and kink events for obvious reasons. On the last episode of this show, we talked about handsy audience members at burlesque shows and the general consensus that women are responsible for the majority of groping. A number of swingers I spoke with for this episode feel the same is true in the lifestyle. And like Angela said, the number of times I or her have been like inappropriately touched or something something has been said to us that makes us feel really uncomfortable or have had people that have trouble accepting the word no has as a blanket statement been women. It's, more, more than men. For me, it's always been women. I've had a few with men, but more um, with women. In a swingers community, it's yeah. always been for me women. But a lot of women come into that community with the unfortunate response of, but I'm just a woman or I'm just a girl, which... Or I'm a commodity. Yeah, I'm a commodity. You should want me. Mm -hmm. And let's be realistic. That's not always the case. Part of this dynamic is probably the result of the fact that men are more heavily screened at swingers events. More often than not, unaccompanied single men are unwelcome in lifestyle spaces, while single females are embraced and celebrated as unicorns. We've heard from a number of couples who have only been in the lifestyle a relatively short time, but Richard and Lauren from the Room 77 podcast have been active for around 16 years. We started with just regular threesomes, I think, just going and hanging out at bars and trying to sort of get people in our bed. And um, then we sort of discovered, believe it, don't laugh, but it was AOL chat rooms. <laughs> I can't it help was, it. <laughs> I mean, it was just crazy, right? We used, to, we used to go in these AOL chat rooms and try to sort of hook up with people. And then that sort of led to websites. And those websites sort of opened our entire world up to the actual swinging community right yeah it wasn't as easy as um i don't know because we were still trying to be very um anonymous so yeah. it wasn't as easy as just showing up at a bunch of parties in los angeles yeah and then we met this couple one of the first couples we met online was a couple now we look back on it that had been had been do, in the lifestyle for 16 years and when we met them they taught us so much in fact, they taught us that when they started, they had to start by putting ads in classified newspapers. That's how young, and that's how, there, there was no internet. There was no other way to do it. So you had to answer an ad and then show up at a bar somewhere, <laughs> right? But that's our AOL. 
Now, right, it's like right, looking right. back, there weren't really that many websites or anything. Yeah. It was just like you went into a chat room and it was ASL, which stood for age, sex, location. And it was ASL question mark. Do you remember? Yeah, I said that to someone at the at the resort one time and I was like, ASL? And they're like, what? Yeah, millennials. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Part of why they were so focused on maintaining their anonymity was because they were both in the entertainment industry. Lauren worked as a model, and Richard was an actor who got his big break in the late 90s as one of the two guys on Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place. But after more than two decades in the business, the Hollywood rat race no longer brought them joy or fulfillment. I was so done auditioning for these stupid and I mean stupid, roles on like CSI Miami or whatever it was that week uh, and going to these auditions at like 7 o'clock in Los Angeles traffic and being put into a room with like 50 other people waiting to get this job where you were on screen for maybe four minutes total. And it was just miserable. It was absolute misery doing that over and over and over again. Luckily... A new and unexpected opportunity randomly presented itself while they were on vacation at Desire. It was like January 2016, and the entertainment manager down there was like, you guys would be really good at doing a workshop. And we we're like, we don't know anything about workshops, Enrique. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but chill, you know, cool the jets. He's like, no, I really think you guys should do this. And we had told him about this, this Yoni massage that Lauren had done a while ago. And he was like, that... That is something that we're, we're not only doing sort of at the resort. Some chick is doing it now. You guys should take that over. Yeah, and do it as a teach it as a couple. Teach it as a couple. And we said, uh, I don't know. He's like, how would you like to just come to the hotel and live here for three months and just <laughs> do it twice a week? And I'm like, wait, hold on. Let me get this straight. So we come to the hotel. We live here. We eat for free. We stay for free. And all we have to do is two hours a week. Yeah. All right. I will go to Google right now and find out how to do a workshop. Just <laughs> sign me up, whatever it is. So we, in August, we went, uh, no, it was June? June. July. June yeah. or July. We went back to the hotel in 2016 and we started this workshop. And we literally just developed it as we Googled it and figured out how to interact with people and, and do this. And then it slowly just evolved into this sort of amazing thing. And we call it the art of touch. And basically what we do is we don't claim to be experts in anything. We don't claim to be really anything. What we do is we try to facilitate you connecting with your partner in a really relaxed state, in an amazing state that you and your partner sort of exist in, where there's no judgment, there's no goals, there's no achievements, and you just lie down and you just are worshipped. And then during the workshop, Lauren and myself, we walk around the room and we touch everybody in a perverted way, but not a disrespectful way. <laughs> uh, so it's it's an amazing experience that uh, that sort of evolved, right? Well, I think the thing that really set this apart or the way that we wanted to approach it that was different is we wanted to make something that was from the point of view of guests. So we wanted to use that fact that we were the guests that people would say, do you want to do this? And we're like, no, I want to sit here and relax. Do you want to do this? Do you want to play volleyball? Do you want to? No, I don't want to do anything. Do you want to go to this workshop? Well, 
I guess. Yeah, everyone's talking about it. And we made it from that point of view. And that was when you're on vacation, you're drinking and all that stuff. You don't want it. We didn't want to learn anything. We just wanted to go be sexy. And that's really kind of what we focused on. I think that wound up being the appeal of it. I mean, we have literally, how many, did we count? Over 9,000 people. Yeah, it's like around 10,000 people. Yeah, it's close to 10,000 people have have been in, in that workshop, which means we've touched a lot of naked bodies. A lot. This is yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. If you and your partner want your naked bodies touched by Lauren and Richard, take a trip down to Desire Riviera Meyer Resort in Cancun. Their workshop is once again called The Power of Touch. It's very popular with limited capacity, so plan accordingly. But of course, swinging isn't just about touching naked bodies. For many people, it's also about the community. I talked to just about everyone featured in this show about their personal highlights in the lifestyle, and it split remarkably close to 50-50 between those who mentioned wild group sex scenarios and those who talked about the friendships they've built within this community. It's the community more than the sex Mm -hmm. that brings you the most joy, it sounds like. Yeah, we've met more couple friends in since our year and a half, almost two years in the lifestyle than we have being together as a couple over 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you know, folks that we generally enjoy that we travel with, um, that, you know, we partner with those kinds of things. Um, You know, so we've made, I think, friends uh, in the lifestyle, because one, you know, you're, you're pretty intimate with people. Although I feel like, not to yuck anybody's young, yum, but Polly is just too much work for me. But I like having friends. <laughs> like I like having couple friends. Um, you know that you know we can hang out and that you have mutual interests with. Like we we threw our first um, house party um, because a group of our friends we were all watching Game of Thrones, and so to you know have this group you know in our house that everyone's yelling at the TV watching the series finale, and then at the end of the show everyone goes upstairs to fuck like that was a amazing experience that you know we can have you know this really good time doing this vanilla stuff and then do this lifestyle stuff and have a really good time and then take a break and you know you know shoot the shit about (laughs) how we hated what happened in the episode um so i I was about to say it sounds like you got the most out of that finale of anyone i know (laughs) yes we did (laughs) we did it was was great yeah I want to thank everyone who spoke to me for this episode, including a few people who did not appear in the show. Special thanks, as always, to Sean Payne and Louis DeMeo for all that you do, and to Ben Jordan, the Flashbulb, for our theme music. One final thing before we go. Along with some friends, I took part in a radio contest a few weeks ago sponsored by LA's NPR affiliate, KCRW. It's this annual thing they do where they provide a theme and you have 24 hours to create a no more than four minute radio piece. This year, the theme was where the sun don't shine. We didn't win anything, but it was fun to put together and I'm going to close the show with it. Thanks for listening. See you soon.
Back in 2011, Andy was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. The first few days I had the diagnosis, I was, it wasn't, I have ulcerative colitis, it was, I have a disease. I'm a diseased person. Luckily, that dehumanizing self-perception only lasted a few days. I don't even consider it as part of my identity because I don't consider myself a chronically ill person because I move about the world perfectly normally. Um, I don't have any outwardly visible signs of illness. I'm not disabled in a way that a lot of people are. It's just that um, certain foods make me bleed out of my asshole. <laughs> so when somebody's like, oh, why can't you have a slice of pizza? That's what I say. I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to spew blood in about four hours. So um, that's why I'm going to skip that pizza. But thank you for the offer. <laughs> this condition has also affected her sex life. It, that anatomy is not a source of joy for me. It's a source of nearly daily misery. So uh, I just tend to keep my sex life and my butt <laughs> completely separate. Our conversation about Andy's relationship with her body came about organically at the end of a long night of street interviews in New York City's West Village, where a diverse array of people shared stories about deriving pleasure from perhaps the human body's most taboo erogenous zone. People really love doing anal. Everybody we talk to has either done it or do it regularly, or it is the staple of their sex life. And for me, that's just, you know, I'm, I guess I'm just really vanilla, but I, I, I had no idea that it was so prevalent among every single person we spoke to. Right, and we admittedly talk to a lot of queer people where I think yes, that that's true. It's, it's more common in those circles, including with with women. That is absolutely true. Have you ever surprised someone with a finger? With a finger, yes, but I like to do my little trick and add the tongue to it. Oh, so you do both a finger and a tongue at the same time. You gotta be talented, I'm just saying. Okay, you you sound talented. I know a little thing or two. <laughs> it just feels so good, oh my goodness. The ways you've experienced this pleasure, what, what are, are we, are we talking fingers, tongues, strap-ons, what are we talking about? All the above. Is there a favorite? All the above. So you do not discriminate. It's just... <laughs> not at all. Joy all around. Joy all around. That's what I'm all about. Sometimes it, in a way, it's sort of uh, hearing other people talk about this, it sort of makes me feel defective in a way because I can't experience the same things because I have a, a real disease that causes real problems that other people can't understand. Um, yeah, it makes me feel quite othered in... I guess in a way, yeah. In a way it's that it's othering, not in a, not in a, not in a way that other people experience on a day to day basis in the more serious context. But yeah, people with chronic illnesses definitely they do feel apart in some ways. And I, I have a perfectly fulfilling sex life outside of that. Nothing else is unusual. Just that I I cannot do anal. <laughs> like that's the only that's the only difference. Everything else is fine. I mean, don't take a dub on my chest, but. <laughs> I, you know, just that's the one thing I just I can't do that. But. I really thought that that's how we were going to end this night. <laughs> okay, I mean, yeah, no, I, now I, I feel I othered. <laughs> I mean, no offense to anybody who has that kink. I'm not calling you out. This piece was produced by Jesse Baltus, Bob Cooley, and me, Chris Soa, as part of the 24-hour radio race from KCRW's Independent Producer Project.